Welcome to the Queen's School Chester podcast, the place where we talk to staff, parents and pupils about topics that are relevant to you. Now in this episode, we're discussing mental well-being in school with Katie Yousaf. Katie will explore exactly what mental well-being is, what schools can do to help children feel secure and happy in school, and how social media has affected children's well-being. But we also get to hear what parents and teachers can be looking out for in children to ensure their nurturing happiness and positive well-being inside and outside of school. That's all coming up in this episode, so come with me now as we discover the importance of mental well-being with Katie Youssef. Katie, thank you for being here and welcome to this episode of The School Podcast. How's your world looking today? Yeah, it's a good day, busy day. We had assembly this morning for Stage 2, gave away a lot of merit certificates, so it's been a positive start, but all good. And what kind of things are merit certificates given away for in Key Stage 2? So they earn merits, and that can be for excellent work, it can be for good behaviour, it can be for just doing something kind or lovely, and when they collect 50, they get a bronze award, and then 125, they get silver, and it keeps going up and up until some achieve platinum at the end of the year. That's what they're aiming for anyway. Oh, I see. And then they come up to the front of, of assembly to collect something, do they? Yeah, absolutely. And we're at the point now where there's a lot of bronze awards. We're all hitting 50. So we had a lot of lots of celebration, a lot of applause this morning. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Maybe sore hands by the end of assembly, but yes. for the right reasons. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> so, Katie, I've been really looking forward to this recording because we're going to be talking about mental well-being in schools. But I'd love to know a little bit more about your own education, what your own experience of school life was like when you were younger. I went to a relatively small primary school was a a good environment to be in but back then I think you just got on with it and if you were good in school and you worked hard you achieved well and if you found things more difficult perhaps you didn't and I find that isn't the case these days. I was lucky because I found school quite straightforward so I sort of sailed through but at the same time looking back now I feel like I, I could have possibly been pushed further and had more guidance especially as I moved up through a larger secondary school I made my way I did what I wanted to do but I feel like looking back I probably could have achieved a little bit further and so I bear that in mind now while I'm teaching children as to actually what their potential is because sometimes when I look back I feel like that was something that I could have been encouraged a little bit more. So then after you, you moved up from from the primary school, what happened then after you left school? Did you go to university or go straight out into the world of work? Yeah, absolutely. I went to university. I studied history at Warwick and I studied all sorts of unusual things. One of my dissertation topics was um, death in the Middle Ages, so some quite ominous subjects, but <laughs> I enjoyed it all. And then I left school and wasn't really sure what to do. So I ended up somehow going into mortgage underwriting, which is not the most interesting thing I've experienced it was a lot of paperwork a lot of form filling and so after a year or so of that I decided that I wanted to do something that I felt sort of had more of an impact on society on the world so I went back then and trained to be a teacher and I've never really looked back I find it a much more fulfilling thing to do than the admin side of mortgage underwriting so I'm glad I made that switch at that point. It's interesting, isn't it? Because most people who work in a school do so because they really wanted to go and do it. And I imagine that some people that work in the world of mortgage underwriting, not that I know anything at all about mortgage underwriting, but I imagine <laughs> that some people probably really wanted to do that. But maybe there's a higher percentage of people who are doing that where they kind of fell into it a bit like you suggested that you may have done. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's one of those things you leave university, you see vacancies, you apply for a few things, you get offered a job and so you get going with it. And parts were interesting, but I just felt it didn't suit me. I felt I was more of a people person Mm -hmm. and I felt like I needed to go into something that suited those skills more. And so, yes, teaching worked out. Okay, so let's talk then about mental well-being in schools, because we hear a lot of this in the media right now. We hear a lot about mental well-being. But what do you mean when when you talk about it? How does this kind of thing look in school life? I say mental well-being for children is about how they're doing and how they're feeling about their lives. And it can be physical well-being. So do they feel well? Are they healthy? Do they feel safe in their physical environment? Do they feel comfortable in their surroundings? But there's also the emotional aspect, which is the one that's been changing the most over recent years. So that's do they feel happy? Do they feel secure? Do they feel like they understand what's going on? Do they have a stable routine? And then that idea of stability goes across both those areas, I suppose. So you can be stable in your physical well-being. You know that when you get home, your home will be a comfortable place. You can be stable in your emotional well-being. You feel like if you look to the future, you will continue to find ways to feel happy, to feel safe. And so overall, to have positive well-being would be to feel safe and secure both physically and emotionally, I'd say. And you say that uh, the emotional side has picked up more attention in recent times. Do you think that's the right thing, you know, given that you mentioned the other aspects like, you know, being comfortable and being safe? Are, Are they areas that are being overlooked or are they areas that were actually kind of quite well looked after already and the emotional side was being neglected before? I say for children as a whole, the majority do feel that physical security, that physical safety. There obviously are a lot of children in the UK and across the world who who aren't that lucky and don't have that stable, safe, warm place to live who obviously mm. need a huge amount of our care and attention. Mm. But for the majority of children, they did have that in place. It was the emotional aspects of their lives that were tipped on their heads. So they had their routine. Children are very much creatures of routine. They mm. come into school, they see their friends, they have a birthday party, they celebrate mm. Christmas with their family family all of those things all of a sudden they didn't happen they didn't make sense and for children there was a lot of disappointment a lot of confusion there was also a a lot of fear in the nation of the whole a pandemic something that people hadn't experienced in their lifetime so they were witnessing adults having to deal with new emotions new situations and that's a lot for a child to take on all at once when they're still growing and developing and learning in all the normal ways so there was a lot that went on at once and it's unsurprising that some children did feel that their emotional well-being had been impacted okay but let's look then in school life you know what what can schools do to make sure that children are feeling happy and secure in their learning environment So day to day, there are things that schools can put in place, expectations for behaviour. So having positive expectations for the type of behaviour you have in class, in your playgrounds, around your school. I'd say good relationships with the staff, children being in a position where they're comfortable to make a mistake. So not an atmosphere of fear, which when I went to high school, there were one or two teachers who you were terrified of and you Mm. behaved well and you wrote down as much as you could but you weren't comfortable to learn you weren't comfortable to make a mistake or to ask a question so I'd say an atmosphere where you feel like you can approach staff and the staff do care about you as a child I'd say links with parents so if a parent has a concern or if a child has a concern they're sharing at home 
the parent feels they can approach you and you will work with them to help the child feel happy and secure. Mm. I'd say atmosphere as a whole within schools. A school needs to be a place where a child feels they can be themselves and express themselves, not that they necessarily have to fit in with a crowd or behave in a certain way or enjoy a certain thing because everyone else is. So mm. that celebration of difference, that diversity, I'd say as well, is a key thing for helping children to feel secure. Obviously, the day-to-day -day curriculum needs to be interesting. The classroom environments need to be appealing. But I think it's that feeling of how you feel when you walk into your school, which has a huge impact on how you learn. It's not necessarily the type of work you're doing. It's whether you walk in, you're keen, you're ready, you're happy to ask questions, you're happy to make mistakes. All those areas makes schools a successful place when it comes to well-being. You mentioned about children being able to, to be themselves and for some of the parents who are listening to this they might think back to when they were at school depending on how old they are and they, they may feel that if they were being themselves when they were at school then they would have been picked on or bullied because they were being a little bit different. Do you think that children in schools these days are more accommodating to people being themselves or is that a slightly naive view of how children are today? I think as a whole, there is more celebration of diversity. I think, like you say, when I was at school, people tried to follow the crowd, you tried to fit in. And to some extent, that will always be the case, especially when we look up to teenagers. Teenagers want to fit in. But at the same time, I think there are wider groups that you can fit in with. So I know at our senior school now, there are a lot of committees set up to support children who are feeling diverse. We've got um, LGBT committees. We've got committees who support respect within the school community. And at lower school, I've got a year six pupil in my class who's keen to set up a diversity club where children mm -hmm. can come and just talk about things that make them feel a little bit different. So I'm working mm -hmm. with her to set that up, hopefully for next term. And it's just a sort of safe space, really, to share who you are and to celebrate who everyone is. Mm -hmm. I think as a school now, schools in general are much better at celebrating children for their differences rather than just treating children as one mass who will all behave in the same way and learn and look the same. So I do think it has moved on, but there's always work to do in those areas. Maybe as well, the ability to connect with other people who may be into the same kind of thing that you're into, whatever that is. If your friends aren't into it at school, then maybe that means that you get more of an online community to support the fact that you've got your, your friends in real life in school, but then you've also got your friends online who, you know, maybe in, in America or Australia or, you know, Russia or anywhere in the world where you can connect with those on the things that you're into, but then you've still got your friends, your physical friends almost in school. Absolutely. And I'd say that goes hand in hand with all the internet safety work that we do. Mm. It's allowing children those safe experiences on the internet, but at the same time, allowing them to look for the red flags, the alarm bells that somebody they're talking to isn't who they say they are. So for our primary children, we suggest a lot of caution when it comes to making links with people you don't know. We mm. teach them about safe, safe routes to doing that. And then again, as they move through secondary, they are then very good at spotting the right sort of people to form communities with and mm. being aware not to actually physically meet people unless you're absolutely sure but you're completely right as a an outlet it's a way to find someone who's interested in what you are when maybe other people aren't yeah I think it's a really a really positive move that's quite reassuring to hear you talk about safety online uh, in that sense as well because again I, I think a lot of parents may think to themselves sometimes that children are very very vulnerable when it comes to being online and of course not wanting to take away from that safety aspect 
maybe the children are actually more savvy than we give them credit for and they are able to spot if if there's something that's not quite right yeah absolutely and again we teach them all of those skills and all the things to look out for at the same time children are children and they can always feel like they are looking for attention and sometimes that can lead them to trusting people they shouldn't and Mm. to visiting websites they shouldn't so we still say to all of our parents even up to the older pupils to just have that overview to just have those open conversations with your children find out who they're talking to and what they're looking at because as you say they are good at spotting the signs but occasionally they do trip up and it's just something that we are always monitoring and we're always re-teaching and recovering because no matter how many times you say it it's something that that can't be said too much because as you say the the internet's a big place and yeah. most of it is usually positive but a lot of it has those areas of caution that they need to be really careful okay so let's talk about happiness because you know happiness in school is clearly a great way for children to learn and to develop and to grow into being young adults but while happiness might sound great are we, are we right to sort of differentiate between a, a kind of a, a sort of a shallow, forced, almost superficial state of brainwashing happiness with a with a deeper core inside the children of, of them being genuinely happy at all levels. I mean, we teach our children within my assembly this morning. We were looking at actually nobody's happy all the time. That's not mm. how humans work. That's not no. how the world works. And if that is the expectation you've set yourself, you've set yourself the bar way too high it's mm. really normal in life for disappointments for things to happen for problems we lose loved ones sadly over the course of our lives we don't achieve as well in every test that we do and so it's having that understanding that to be happy is brilliant you can't expect it 24 7 and mm. you have to then know how to cope with the normal ebbs and flows of your emotional life and you have to know when not feeling happy becomes a problem. So we'll say to them, it's when you're feeling like you're much more sad than you're feeling happy. When you're feeling like your days are much more negative than they're positive. That's the point where you start to feel like you need to reach out then and get a little bit of support. It is normal for us to have good days and bad days, to have good hours and bad hours. And as you say, this pursuit of a perfect life isn't Mm. something that any of us are ever going to achieve. And I think it is so important to make children aware of that, to make them aware that mental health ebbs and flows, you will have down days, you'll have down months perhaps, but it's just knowing that when that's within normal boundaries and if it's not, what you can do to get yourself help and support. So it sounds to me like it's all about encouraging children just to be as open as possible with their feelings. Absolutely, and it's making sure you feel like you have someone to speak to. And so in school, class teachers are very good at knowing the girls individually. So they will quite often notice if someone's not quite themselves and they'll approach that child. Other times we have a child approaching us or we have a friend approaching to just say they're a little bit worried about another person and they may require some support. Lots of our pupils are really good at reaching out to parents as well. If something's bothering them, they will go and they'll chat that through. Sometimes, I'm a parent myself, sometimes you'll hear it and you'll think, that's absolutely ridiculous, why has that bothered you? But interesting things do bother children. Sometimes it's not anything that you would ever consider would be a problem to them, and it's really bothered them. And other times you think something's going to be a huge deal, they've not been picked for the netball team, they've not been invited to a party, and they actually brush that off. And I found that a lot with COVID as well. Some of the things you thought would really impact children, they weren't bothered about, and it was other little things that that really got to them. Well, let's talk about COVID just for a second then, because, I mean, clearly COVID impacted all of our lives in various different ways, but how do you see it impacting the, the mental well-being of children 
both in Queen's and, and outside of the school. And what kind of things within school then did the school do to address that maybe after COVID finished and children start returning to school? Yeah, so I'd say the initial shock to the children was the rug was just pulled from under them. All of their routines disappeared overnight and that stability we talked about earlier just went. Their friends were sort of taken from them in a way because Mm. at school you do spend long periods at break, lunch, playing, interacting in that way and that was removed. It added that stress to them, the stress that people in their family may have been unwell, the stress that parents are suddenly working from home and trying to support them at the same time. And also added chunks of sort of almost boredom, chunks of time that they had to fill all of a sudden that they hadn't previously. A lot of our pupils do out of school clubs, they do brownies, hockey, netball, all of that went. So all of those things that were really positive for their mental health just suddenly disappeared. So it was a big shock during the pandemic we made sure we were connecting with them on Zoom for their lessons. So that gave them an outlet to continue to work as a class and to see us for a number of hours each day, which was positive, but it can never quite replace that social interaction that you get in person. Mm. So when they came back in, we were careful to focus at first on their emotional well-being more so than assessing them and going through the curriculum and finding out exactly what they hadn't quite learned in the same way during lockdown. It was more about building their social stamina, building their academic stamina. It was about reintroducing that wider curriculum that's really hard to provide from home. So the music, the art, the drama, all of those things that no matter how brilliantly you're attempting home learning, you just can't do as easily at home. We spoke to the children about the positives and the negatives of the situation. We answered any of their questions that they had that maybe they hadn't asked at home. And also we looked out for any signs, signs of things like anxiety. Some children had been in a position where they hadn't separated from their parent for a number of months because Mm. they'd been at home, they'd been within lockdown. So we just looked out for any of those children that found the change of circumstance back to school a little bit more difficult. Yeah. And, and of course, we can't really talk about mental well-being in, with children without talking about social media as well. I mean, clearly, social media is great in a lot of ways, but then we do hear a lot of negative press as well, and understandably so. What kind of things should we be considering as, as families, as people who are listening to this right now when it comes to social media? It's tricky because children are really keen to connect online. As we've said, it's part of their routine now. They all want to have accounts on the latest apps. They all want to have a TikTok and Instagram. I'd say to parents, stand your ground. If you don't think your child is old enough, then Mm -hmm. stand your ground. They will tell you that they are the only one without a TikTok or the only one without an Instagram. But that isn't the case. That's just a tactic the kids use to try and get onto (laughs) those. So absolutely stand your ground. When they get to the point where they are mature enough to use those sites, do monitor particularly that their account is kept private because otherwise sites like Instagram, anyone in the world can be privately messaging them. Do have an agreement with them that they will discuss with you who they're connecting with. For the younger children, you need to be monitoring their devices. Mm. I'd also say, to be really honest with them, I sit with my children and I've done assemblies before where we physically go through looking at pictures and we point out where they have been digitally altered. So pictures of young women that have been airbrushed, they've had different things applied to the photo to make them look a different body shape, a different Mm. body size, a different face shape, makeup that's been applied. I'm really clear to children that that isn't reality and that isn't real life. And I'll also be really clear that these people that are posting those photos 
as influencers to create content may have taken 112 photos to get that one good one. So then when they take their one photo of themselves and it isn't perfect, that's actually normal. And that is what we really look like. And mm. these people aren't portraying reality. So I think it's really clear. We keep reminding children that they're looking through this window and they're not looking at reality. And so they shouldn't be comparing themselves and their life to what they're seeing because they're only really seeing the very edited highlights. And if there's a parent who's listening to this right now who's maybe got a few concerns about their children or maybe they're not actually sure what to look out for in their children when it comes to their own mental well-being, what, what sort of things could somebody look out for? I would say in particular a change in behaviour, so a child becoming more withdrawn, a child no longer enjoying things they used to enjoy would be signs to me that there may be a difficulty. Children becoming very secretive particularly when it comes to devices and social media that can be a concern I would say as well speak to school if you had that low level concern about your child's behavior speak to school and see if they've noticed as a school if we notice anything like that we will reach out to parents and work as a team to try and see what it can be as well if you're approaching your child and you're not getting a lot of information from them reach out to the school because sometimes children don't want to confide in a parent if they feel that will add stress to a parent's life. They are aware that their parents often have a lot on, they're busy, they're tired. And if they've got a low level concern, they might not want to add to their parents' stress. Sometimes an, an independent third party at school, they might be a bit more comfortable just letting a low level concern be shared with them just because they feel like they're doing their parents a favour, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's almost yeah. them trying to protect their family. So yeah, do reach out, but looking for things like low mood, exhaustion. With younger children, things like meltdowns after school is really normal, but it just can be a sign that they're overwhelmed. So mm. when you have a reception year one child, quite often they'll spend all their energy throughout the day in school. They'll get home, they'll be completely wiped out and you'll have wailing and tears and all of that. If that's continuing as they're getting to year three, four, five, then that's a sign that maybe they need a little bit more support. Now, of course, it sounds like at the Queen's you're doing a lot of things there to ensure that children are as happy as possible when they're learning. And I'm sure a lot of other schools are doing exactly the same kind of thing. But what, what can parents be doing in order to sort of nurture a sense of happiness and a good um, environment to bring up their children at home? I would say to try and have that stability in routine so the children sort of know, know what's coming and know what to expect. I would encourage children to take part of things out of school if you have the time and capacity to do so. It doesn't have to be things that are hugely expensive. It could just be getting them out of the house at the weekend, getting mm -hmm. them into fresh air, getting them away for devices, giving them that opportunity to socialise with friends if possible. I would say as well, to have positive expectations of them. So to speak to them and speak about them in a way that you feel like they are going to succeed, they are going to move forward through life positively when things come up that they're nervous about so for example we're reintroducing residential trips this year and I know mm. a lot of children are more nervous than normal because they haven't had those sleepovers with grandparents they haven't been to friends houses they haven't done residential trips last year so I've been saying to children and to parents to speak really positively about it to speak as if it's definitely going to go well to give them the idea that they're going to have a great time it's going to be a good experience rather than encourage them to worry rather than say it may, it, it might be awful and you might be homesick but if so I'll come and pick you up that's sort of sowing the seed that it's not going to go well so if you can approach these things really positively it can help the children to do the same that's really good advice I love that and Katie <laughs> 
For yourself, how do you go about maintaining a good positive well-being yourself? I think it's important to get a balance. So I will often have a really busy day. I'll be up early. I'll be in school mixing with my class. I'll be at staff meetings. I'll come home, feed children, get them to bed. And then I find for me, I just need that quiet half an hour. So I don't even have TV on. I sometimes will read or sometimes potter about on the internet. But I just need that downtime to then be able to continue positively so it's knowing yourself really other people I know friends of mine like to go out and play netball in an evening some Mm. people like to read quietly some people like to sit and watch the tv some people like to pick up the phone and speak to a family member so it's knowing what suits you but for me I I do need that little bit of peace and quiet I think sometimes I reach my capacity for sort of noise (laughs) and fuss and so it's just allowing myself that half an hour just to just to have quiet and peace and just center myself again so that's what works for me. Mm. that sounds idyllic it really does and and a great way to end the day as well and and probably a good place to end this podcast recording Katie if anyone's heard anything and they wanted to get in touch maybe if anyone had any concerns then what's the best way for them to connect with the school most schools easiest ways with the class teacher so for us if you either drop an email or ring via the office and just ask to have a little chat with the class teacher in primary schools that's generally the person that knows your child the best and will be the number one person to flag any concerns to as you move through seniors I'd say as well the form teachers that day-to-day contact and they're the person to approach and if they don't have all the answers they can then easily signpost you on to the person within the organization that can if you have any concerns that are more severe than that about a child's well-being then obviously the GP is always an option but I'd say first part of call is the school unless you're feeling like there's something really significant that requires support. Awesome well look Katie thank you for your time thanks for talking to us about this a very important subject and uh, I really appreciate you being here and explaining how it works uh, through your eyes thank you so much. No problem thank you. So that was Katie Youssef discussing mental well-being at Queen's. Thank you so much, Katie, for your time. We appreciate you discussing this important topic. If you're listening and you wanted to get in touch regarding your child's well-being, then be sure to email their class teacher at Queen's or you can give the school a phone call and they'll be right there to help. Now, our next episode is coming out soon. But in the meantime, thank you for listening to this one. Don't forget to follow or subscribe so you can stay in touch. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.